0: If we were to ask most people what their goal in life is, we'd get as many various answers as we had people. But if you were to ask most if they found a legacy important to leave behind, most would give an emphatic, yes. As we continue in our journey of walking through the Word, our sermon series based on our reading plan as a church, we have a sermon preached from what we've just read recently, we'll be taking a look at these five key truths in regards to leaving a legacy, although we'll only be covering two of them today. We're going to be looking at the importance of being careful, being accurate, being intentional, being cautious, and then also being prepared. We'll start by turning to the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 6. Deuteronomy is the last book of the Pentateuch. It's Greek for five book or of the Torah, the Hebrew word for law. The author of the book is Moses, with the ending containing his death more than likely written by his successor Joshua. The name Deuteronomy for the fifth book of Moses simply means second law. This book is a reiteration of the laws contained in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, which God had given the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. By way of review, out of those who were older than 20 years of age at the Exodus out of Egypt, It's safe to assume only Moses, Joshua, and Caleb were still alive during this time. After a few decades have passed, it's important to review and reiterate the law for the whole nation, as many were not as familiar with the law as those that had gone before them. Kind of a good reason for us to understand why repetition itself is so important. The main purpose of this book was to prepare the nation of Israel for entrance into the Promised Land. As we work through the text, We'll see the importance of legacy spelled out in this text as Moses is giving them key truths as they are about to enter the promised land. Moses is trying to get the nation to realize they have a role to play in leaving a legacy as their ancestors did before them. We'll start by looking at verses 1 through 3 and the importance of being careful and alert. So the first point is be careful. Look at what we have here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 1 through 3. Now this is the commandment and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. You see, the commandment here is the equivalent to the law as a whole. And Moses emphasizes specifically the importance of being careful to observe. The things that have been mentioned in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, the many other commandments that were mentioned, such as the ceremonial cleansing and the offering of sacrifices, those were important to be careful to observe. In fact, the phrase is found 15 times in the book of Deuteronomy. It's hard to argue that it's important. So why would something like this be important to us today? Well, you see, the reality is many of us are very much like the nation of Israel when it comes to being careful to obey the things God has commanded us. Many of us, we say it this way, are careless or carefree when it comes to the commandments of Scripture. To put it in proper context, we care more that others care about God's Word and doing whatever it says, but assume that that same standard just does not apply to us. In fact, let's take a look at a few very practical examples in our modern context. How many of us, in our current situation, are complaining daily about our circumstances when God's Word clearly says in Philippians 2.14 to do all things without complaining and disputing? You see, if you keep reading the text, it gives you a reason why it is important. In fact, Philippians 2.14-15 says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. See, there's a testimony to uphold if you're a Christ follower. Your complaining does not shine as a light to others. In fact, it kind of destroys your testimony. Uh, You see, the issue for many of us is that we give ourselves a pass for complaining, but complain about others complaining, if you will. Do we see any inconsistency here? Maybe it's something we need to think through. In fact, let's take a look at another one here. Colossians 3.9 says, Do not lie to one another. You see, here's the difficulty. Uh, We tell others we're praying for them sometimes. And maybe we've only prayed for them once. Yet we reiterate the fact that we have been praying for them. We say everything's fine in our families. uh, When there's some real serious issues going on in the home. And our marriage may very well even be on the verge of collapse. We say our financial situation's horrible because of the government. You know, it's the common one that everybody keeps saying. Um, The truth is, maybe we blew a lot of the money last month going out to eat (laughs) and buying a lot of stuff on Amazon we didn't need to but wanted. Some of us lie by sharing how much we love everyone around us on Facebook and Instagram, only to keep trying to keep it all together while we're in our misery. You see, it's no small thing to be careful to observe, because we fail so easily and frequently, and we give ourselves a pass because we've set ourselves up as God himself. And not being balanced in what God's word tells us about who we are. We swing from thinking God loves everything about us, we can do no wrong, to he's just out to get me. With some of us denying his very existence in the way that we speak of him and live. See, it's important to understand these commandments in scripture, they were never there to harm us. But to be for our good and blessing. Realizing we can't keep them is an important point to admit, but it can't end there with a perpetual, I'm sorry, we keep offering God, with no care in observing to obey the commandments we keep breaking. If we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, that is the ultimate first thing we must do, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We've done anything that we can, now we can actually observe those things, because we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. If we've done that, we can now observe the commandments of Scripture as it's laid out clearly. And specifically reiterated throughout the New Testament where Jesus actually raises the bar. You see, we need to see how important it is for us to be careful. Because the next step we need to be aware of, if we're to leave a legacy, it's to be accurate. Number two, be accurate. Look at verse number four. It says this, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You see, Moses, as he writes these words, is stressing the importance of being accurate. You see, in all the things that we do in this world, it's important to be accurate. If we're not accurate, we're going to be off in the measure of whatever it is that we're trying to do. If we're not accurate in the measurement of a lot of the things going on in our culture today, then we're not going to take the proper precautions, let's say, for even the disease that's being spread right now. You and I will not understand the importance of the commandments laid out in Scripture if we do not have an accurate understanding of who God is. As one author put it, central to biblical theology is the affirmation of the oneness of God known as the Shema, which is the Hebrew term that begins verse 4. In its original historical context, The Shema set the Israelites apart from the nations that surrounded them. Deuteronomy was revealed at the same time the nation of Israel was about to enter the promised land in order to drive out the polytheistic tribes living there. The Israelites would be tempted perennially to adopt pagan gods. Therefore, the one true God affirmed his uniqueness before sending his people into Canaan. When Yahweh said that his people were to have no other gods before him, he did not mean that Israel could serve other deities as long as... He had first place. Yeah, that's the way we seem to approach it. Instead, the prohibition against worshiping other gods is grounded in the Shema. Because Yahweh is one. Because he is God alone. There can be no service to any other so-called deity. You see, we as Christians believe in the triune God. One God manifested in three distinct persons, having one essence and being. To this day, many Jews still recite the Shema twice a day during morning and evening prayers. To the Jewish mind, and even many Christians, sadly, uh, the idea of the Trinity was and is str- a struggle, making it very difficult to understand how the Father, the Son, Jesus, are one. Here are some key passages for us to look at as we think through this important doctrine of the Trinity. In fact, we read in First Timothy, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. We see there is only one way to make things right with God, and that way is Jesus Christ, who is God. In Jude, we find, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. The only God there is, only one. And that God sent Jesus Christ, who said he and the Father are one to be our Savior. In Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4, we see an interesting account of somebody sinning against God. And the text is speaking specifically of the Holy Spirit. And it says, But Peter said, Ananias... Why is it that Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not your, at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. You see here that in lying to the Holy Spirit, Ananias was lying to God because the Holy Spirit is God. In fact, when we are sent out to make disciples of the nations, any believer... We're sent to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So why is this important that we get it right? Well, it's important because if we get this wrong, (laughs) eternity is in the balance. Scripture tells us if we actually believe there's one God, it is not enough. As demons themselves believe God is one. In fact, James 2, verse 19 says, You believe that there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. It's not enough to affirm God exists. Demons know that and are actually more fearful of that than most of mankind. It's vital that we do what is stated later in the text. We see this, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. You see, this all starts by accepting that Jesus Christ is God. If he is not, then Jesus is nothing more than a good teacher with nothing to offer us but good morals in dealing with our neighbor. The whole book of James, in fact, tells us the importance of good works, which are a result of faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His perfect life lived, his death on the cross, and resurrection from the dead, conquering sin and death. You see, acknowledgement of God does not save. This is why the work of the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, the first, third person of the Trinity, is so crucial, because he gives us new life and gives us the actual ability to believe. Apart from him, we are literally the walking dead, according to Ephesians chapter 2. As we trust in the finished work of Christ, we are encouraged by this text to grow in our love for God. In fact, Jesus was asked this actual question by other religious teachers who thought of Jesus just like many do today, being a good teacher. In fact, we see this. It says, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceived that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him. The first of all the commandments is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. What's important to note here is that many of us jump to the golden rule, if you will. Most of us would kind of go, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, or love your neighbor as yourself without following the first commandment, in loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, I would argue that we're not doing well in loving others because we're not loving God with everything we have, which is really the point of this text here as we read. The idea here that both the Old Testament and Jesus is reiterating is that we are to love God with our entire being, which is conveyed slightly differently for a Jewish audience versus a Western culture, if you see some of the variations in how those words are spelled out in the New Testament and the Old Testament. But let's get to some of the specifics before we close out today. What are some ways we can be sure to love God with our entire being? Well, number one, make God's Word a priority in your life by studying and memorizing. Not just some exercise you do once a week on a Sunday or that your kids do in wana, uh, but you make it a priority if you're a parent, if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you make it a priority. You see, one of the reasons why David was a man after God's own heart is because he delighted in the law of the Lord. He would say phrases like, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Listen to what he says here earlier in Psalm 119, 9-12. He says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Sound familiar? Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. You and I can't say we love God if we don't care to read the, book, the Word, study the Word, memorize the Word. This is what made David so unique. And number two, how do we know that we, we're loving God? We care to actually obey God's commandments. Not just to know what they are. If God says to stay morally pure, we're paying attention to that. And make sure that we don't have certain things infiltrate our mind through the distractions that are around us. Or do we still think many of us are immune? None of that will ever harm us. Well, listen to what Jesus actually says here. He says this in John chapter 14, verse 21. He says, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. So here's a warning. Uh, Stop saying you love God if you don't want to do what he says. Stop saying you love your neighbor if you don't care to tell them the truth found in God's word. God is gracious and merciful. But Jesus didn't come because you just had a few personal issues to deal with. He came because you had sin separating you from a holy God who must and will judge sin because he's holy. You see, we don't love others if we give them a false picture of who God is. Don't fool yourself. So in conclusion, what legacy would you leave today? You see, many people speak of what they wish they left behind. Let's cut to the chase. What if it all ended today? What legacy would you leave behind to those around you? Is it a legacy of faith? Is it a legacy of hope? Or is it a legacy of constant complaining about how everyone has it better than you and me? Seems to be the typical nowadays. Number two, what does your love for God look like? Can you sincerely say you love God with everything you have? question is, do you even love God at all? Have you believed the good news of the gospel message, that Jesus came to save sinners and you are one? If you believe the gospel, are you making God's word a priority? You see, if not, can we encourage you to visit our website, sgcspringfield.org? Hit the Discipleship tab under What We Believe and download the F-260 reading plan we're doing as a church. We hope to build a legacy as a church, but we know that we can only have that happen if we make these things a priority individually.